welcome everybody to this episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Uh, this week, uh, I have with me uh, Bill Mann from Centrify. Uh, so I'll kick it over to you, Bill, and let you uh, introduce yourself and uh, you know tell us a little bit about what you do at Centrify. Hey, Tony, how you doing? So uh, yes, Bill Mann here from Centrify. I'm Chief Product Officer for Centrify. So what that really means is uh, I look at the market and I uh, essentially build the products that we are selling in the marketplace. So uh, a lot of my focus is on uh, a concept called zero trust. So looking at how we can help organizations to get to a state of zero trust from an access point of view is what I'm really doing. Uh, speaking to a lot of customers, understanding what their needs are, and uh, ultimately delivering products and solutions to the market to meet the needs. All right. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that one of the things that I've been focused on um, for a few years now, and there's there's actually kind of a, a little bit of a story behind it because I traditionally just wrote about security in general, uh, and I wrote about technology in general. And then a friend of mine called up one day and said, "What do you know about DevOps?" And I said, "Well." basically nothing. I know that you just said the word DevOps. <laughs> and, uh, and and he invited me to, uh, uh, you know, sort of help be part of the advisory board and, and help launch DevOps.com. And so that started me on that journey of understanding DevOps and getting into what, what that's all about and, and then, you know, focusing on the security side of DevOps. And so, you know, obviously, you know, that, that has, you know, we've got gone from DevOps being sort of a, a fringe concept to DevOps being, you know, almost a, like a mainstream imperative. Um, and along that, along that path, um, you have a lot of, you know, it's it's almost sort of cliche or trite to talk about you know speed and agility, speed and agility, because that's you know basically what you hear about with DevOps is we're gonna we're gonna break down all the silos, we're gonna enable everyone to just you know streamline and move forward, and 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 everything is about speed and agility. Uh, but then at some point you still have to tie that back into security, and and that's. Uh, you know, it, it, but that's that's complicated or, or exacerbated by the fact that you're because you're trying to move so fast and because you know so much is automated. Um, it's like, where do you put the security and how do you get? How do you how do you have security that is can keep up with the pace of DevOps and can scale with DevOps? So let's let's I guess start there and tell me a little bit about Centrify's approach with secure DevOps and, and what are your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, I think you, you, you kind of set up the conversation in the right way. Um, you know, DevOps is all about agility, but how do you achieve agility, but also make sure that you're not compensating and uh, not having a secure environment? Right? Because one of the things about doing things fast is you sometimes forget about security. But, uh, but you know, you know the, the smart folks who are implementing DevOps absolutely see security as a kind of a baseline feature set that they need to build within a any kind of DevOps pipeline. So the way I think about DevOps, I kind of split it up into two areas, Dev and Ops. Obviously, Dev is all about building, creating, and 
you know, planning, creating, verifying, and building the package itself. And the upper ops is obviously the release, monitoring, configuration, and so forth. So let me talk about those two areas as it pertains to security uh, and the way we look at it, uh, at Centrify. So on the dev side, you know, ultimately what we all recognize in the industry now is that the app developer who's building the app in the first place does not want to have security as an afterthought anymore. And they want to be able to have security baked into their application. Um, so there's obviously multiple levels of security within applications. And we focus on the access part of security, such as, you know, how does a, a user gain access to an application? How do you do multi-factor authentication to an application? Or how does an application get provisioned to the user when they join an organization? So what we're doing there is delivering to app developers a set of API services so then they can use those API services instead of building authentication, single sign-on, uh, MFA, and so forth into the apps themselves. So, you know, as an app developer before, I would have to worry about, you know, uh, authenticating the user and storing the credentials of that user, maybe in my Oracle database and so forth. That's not what I want to do anymore. If I'm building a mobile app, I want it to be, you know, wanted to have MFA immediately. I want to, yes, they used a Google Authenticator, for instance, right? Uh, so those are a set of services that we are providing. So we've defined over uh, 10 different types of services so an app developer can leverage those services and have the access part of the problem solved for them. And, and when they're using those set of services, those sort of set of services are shared amongst all the applications. So, for instance, uh, I could single sign on to the application that you've built, but I could also single sign on to Salesforce.com. Uh, if I leave the organization, my app would be deprovisioned for the user that, that, that had the application. So one, that's one set of services uh, in the DevOps kind of uh, ecosystem, you know, kind of the left-hand side of the DevOps kind of uh, circle. On the ops side, uh, you've got a whole bunch of different you know, challenges, right? You know, you've got a, a whole bunch of tools that are being used by the, the ops community, you know, from, uh, you know, Jenkins for build release. You've got Ansible, Terraform for, you know, deployment. You've got Kubernetes, uh, for instance, on the orchestration. You've got on the runtime, you've got Docker, CoreOS, you've got monitoring products like Nagos. You know, there's a lot of tools out there. And, uh, you know, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's very much of a... Uh, a market where it's very fragmented and lots of tools and you know you know ops folks are trying different tools out and seeing what kind of meets their requirements based upon the requirements they have and so forth but from a security point of view again from an access point of view we've seen a couple of key things that we are we're focusing on number one you know at a, at a most very simple level is as an ops guy, I'm accessing these tools, these DevOps tools. How am I accessing those tools? Am I, you know, putting a username and password in, into accessing all of those tools? Or can we put stronger security in front of those tools in the first place? So that's what one of the things we're doing is providing single sign-on, multi-factor authentication to the apps tools themselves. Because obviously, if you can provide any security to govern who's got access to those tools, then you've in inherently increased the 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 security of the only of the whole environment because you know the privileged users inside your organization who are the operational staff 
if the wrong people have access to the tools, then they can obviously stop services and redefine services and obviously gain access to uh, the, the core uh, data within your environment. So that's, a, that's one of the things we're doing around the tools themselves. Secondly, it's if you think about the, the, the automation needs in a, in a DevOps environment where machines are coming up and down at high velocity now, and there's no longer a, a case of Bill, the Unix administrator, logging onto a machine anymore. It's really more machine to machine. And the times I'm logging onto a machine is really maybe to an orchestration machine or to 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 configure something but i'm no longer kind of digging in and trying to find out why this machine's broken it's 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 easier to, to restart the machine so machine to machine communication is one of the critical areas that we're working on as well where instead of hard-coded you know credentials between machines to machines we're providing a set of apis again so the devops uh, uh um, ops person can use those apis to you know, go to a let's say a vault to take to check out you know SSH keys and so forth that can be used to do credentials between one machine to another machine. Um, so that's kind of the second area, and the third area is around uh, you know Docker and CoreOS, the runtime environments themselves, where you know we fundamentally have technology uh, that is uh, what we use the word you now host-based, i.e., it runs on the Unix you know endpoint that can secure who has access to that endpoint, what are the roles of the people who log on to that endpoint, you know, can Bill restart the Oracle database, right, uh, uh, for instance, right? So we are providing those same kind of controls to CoreOS as well. So you've got the same level of functionality and capability of defining who has access to what within their environment. So those are kind of broad brush the types of capabilities that we're providing. You know, if I take this upper uh, upper level, it's really around access and can we solve the problem around access? Because one of the one of the things we find in the industry is 80% of most breaches, according to Verizon, are to do with compromised credentials, i.e., the credentials of you and me, you know, your, my usernames and passwords. And um, over 60, 70% of most of the breaches are to do the privileged users inside the organization. These are the IT workers who whose credentials can be stolen and you know and, and databases of millions of records can be stolen from servers and so forth. So if we can uh, reduce the risk of the ops guys uh, in the ways I've described and also reduce the risk of the end users who are using the apps in the first place for these homegrown apps and so forth, then we're solving a big problem for the enterprise with, with respect to reducing risk. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, so, so there's a, a few different things you, you pointed out in there that I want to kind of step back to. First of all, you, you talked a lot about the the, the, the tools, um, and you know, and there are you know certainly no shortage of, of DevOps tools, but there are, you know there's a handful that are I think sort of widely known, popular, you know, somewhat ubiquitous uh, DevOps tools, Puppet, Chef, you mentioned Ansible, uh, you know, and, and from a CI, CD perspective, you know, things like Jenkins. Um, how does how does Centrify's approach to, to you know, authentication and, and security, how does, how does it integrate with those tools and, and how, so, you know, can I, can I, integrate Centrify into my CI/CD pipeline so that 
you know, that security is kind of built in. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, you take uh, build release Jenkins, for instance, right? So we we we'll provide single sign-on to the Jenkins console, right? So your you know, let's say your Active Directory credentials can be used to authenticate into that product in the first place. Uh, layer on top of that MFA, multi-factor authentication. So that's the that's when I when I talked about secure access to tools. That's the types of things we're doing, which is providing that. Uh, entry point in those applications rather than the user logging on to those applications with a credential that you've created within those applications which leads to uh, silos of identity and identity sprawl and so forth right uh, where we're pulling that away from those applications so a lot of those applications support saml uh, as a uh, as a as a standard for exposing uh, credentials management so we can layer on in front of them a SAML single sign-on product, which is called application services for us, which gives that user access to those applications. And it's not just those, it would be any application. So if I look at the, di the day in the life of an ops guy, they're, of course they're using Jenkins and Chuff and Puppet, but at the same time they're using their Outlook email, right? They're using Concord, they, uh, they, uh, they might be using um, Salesforce.com, right? If they're an SE or something, right? So or a salesperson. So it's that consistent access to any application or service, right, uh, with that single credential that they had with multi-factor authentication, which is what we're trying to solve for. So from my point of view, the DevOps tools is just yet another application that they're having access to. Okay. Um, and this is, uh, I, th I think this is, is pretty much a, re a rhetorical question, really, but just to, just for the listeners, um, does Centrify's approach to DevOps security, uh, is it platform agnostic in terms of the cloud platform? Like, will it work with AWS and Azure and Google Cloud, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, it's, it's, it's agnostic, right? So we, we, we provide a set of, uh, we provide some different capabilities, actually. So we run our service, uh, it's a, it's a SaaS-based service, so it actually runs in the cloud. Um, in our case, actually, it's actually running in, uh, in both uh, Azure and AWS. So uh, we actually run as a multi-cloud service, uh, which gives us a lot of options uh, uh, worldwide uh, to address kind of uh, certain geographies and so forth. But uh, the user of the service doesn't really need to understand where it's running at all. And it runs uh, uh, you know, agnostic for the application or platform you're providing. Um, a lot of customers that we also talk to are very large customers and they have private clouds and those private clouds might be inside their own data centers um, on premises, not in the public cloud and it works for those environments as well. Okay. Um, you mentioned the machine to machine and uh, that, that you know, machine to machine, device to device, that authentication, you know, like you said is, uh, I, I think it's becoming a much a much bigger part of the underlying, uh, you know, sort of uh, traffic and you know, all the things that are going on behind the scenes. It's like because there's so much that's automated, uh, you know, there's a lot more of well, you know, this server just needs to talk to this server or this service, and and things are just kind of happening. Um, how does you know, it, 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 in in terms of from from the philosophy of never trust, always verify. Um, can you go into a little bit of, you know, how, how, how does that, how is that applied on a device to device 
uh, authentication? Like, it, it, is it, are you stopping and authenticating? Like, basically every, like, like I said, never trust, always verify. So every, everything that it, it's doing, is there a, a, a process of, okay, you know, making, authenticating again and saying, okay, are, are, are you, should you be doing this? Yeah, so let me, let me, let me yeah, that, that's, that's a really good question. And I think for the audience, I, let me, let me kind of back up a little bit and kind of explain first how it was done in the old environment. So, um, so when I was a Unix administrator, when one machine needed to talk to another machine, I would, let's say, have a, have a, uh, a, a Perl script, which would have a hard-coded username and password for that other target machine. Or I would uh, store a, uh, a SSH key pair, and uh, I would have the secret key for the, for the cert pair that I would use to authenticate from one machine to another. But it was hard-coded, and if I was smart enough, I could generate another key pair, and I could append the key pair file and leave it there for me in the future to come back in and kind of go to that machine. So, you know, you had two problems. One was the fact that it was, you know, hard-coded before, and number two, there was ways of working around it. So in this new world, and so, so the reason I'm pointing to that is we had implicit trust in our environments because we thought that nobody could hack into the environment and get a hold of that that script that had the hard-coded password in there. But in, in this uh, never trust, always verify world of zero trust, you can't assume that there's a trust relationship between these two machines that need to talk to each other. So the, we do the following. Number one, every machine basically needs to register itself as a known entity, even if it's gonna live for 10 minutes, right? It's gotta register itself as a known entity. And we do that by basically enrolling that machine on our cloud service, uh, obviously at a very at, at a high scale, but we enroll that machine uh, to our cloud service. And what we're really doing there is essentially giving that machine a a, a certificate. Uh, so we're using certificate-based authentication to know that that's a known entity that lives within the kind of the the, the ecosystem of devices. So the, the, a good analogy for that is you know when you get your new iPhone and you register it with AT&T, you know, and you give them the CI number, uh, you know, the, the, they register that machine and enroll that, that machine to the environment. We're kind of doing the same uh, kind of philosophically for servers as well. That's one of the things we're doing. And then the other thing we're doing is instead of getting, we're, we're getting rid of those uh, hard-coded uh, uh, passwords and credentials by having the other machine who need, let's say machine A needs to talk to machine B. So machine A would go to our vault and request access to a, a one-time cert, let's say, to access machine B. And it would generate it and it would uh, you know, send it to machine A. And that way machine A and B can talk to each other at that point in time for a certain period of time. So that's how the market's going. And, you know, uh, there's, and that, that's not a, you know, conceptually, that's not a new thing. It's uh, something that you know, ops guys really know well. Uh, ops guys talk about a concept called a vault, right? And uh, there's capabilities that exist uh, in um, in a, a number of tools. You know, uh, Amazon's got some, uh, HashiCorp's got some uh, with Terraform, uh, Jenkins got some as well, where there's essentially a vault used to store credentials and so forth. But um, you know where we take things to the next level is because we're a 
an access vendor and we focus a lot on the privileged users, we take that vault and make it multi-purpose, not just for the DevOps use case for in the scenario I've described, but also for the for the use case where you've got um, uh, humans logging onto a machine, which is still very big in uh, uh, in on-premises and for the orchestration machines and so forth, not just the, the millions of instances going up and down. So we provide that capability as well. And we're multi-cloud with our, with our vault as well. And uh, you can do things like, you know, an end user could check out a password from their mobile phone, let's say, right? If you're on the road and you're doing some IT servicing kind of jobs and so forth. So uh, we really take that concept of a vault and expand it out, not just for DevOps, but for the other use cases as well. Does that make sense? Am I answering your question? Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it was a good uh, a good explanation of, of how that's working. Uh, and I, I, I particularly appreciate you stepping back to explain how it worked in the first place, because uh, it gives, it gives a, a good context for understanding what it is you're doing now. Um, so, I want to shift gears now. I mean, so I, I think all all of that is great, and I I I, I think it's uh, it, it it's it's necessary, and sounds like a good approach to uh, handling the the DevOps security, um, you know, at scale, at speed. Um, but uh, another thing that that Centrify is doing that uh, is is of particular interest to me is this secure the vote. Uh, initiative you guys have going, and you know, for you know, for those who don't know, I mean, you can go to you can go to centrify.com/slash/secure-the-vote and, and and read that page. Um, but uh, you know, in 2016, there was a lot of uh, attacks which we've attributed to Russia at this point, and said, hey, you know, Russia was you know doing things in an attempt to influence the election. And, um, you know, it says, uh, you guys quote the, not quote, but you mentioned the 60 Minutes episode um, where they talk about how uh, the one of the main targets was election boards and that up to 90,000 voter records were compromised in that 2016 election. So, you know, we're only a few months away from the 2018 election. We've got multiple uh, legislative initiatives introduced in the House and in the Senate to try to address this problem. Uh, you know, call, call me cynical uh, that any of those will be passed and or implemented in time for this election. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious what what is Centrify doing uh, that, you know, will, will help us out this November? So in, in essence, what we're doing is we're making our Zero Trust platform available to election boards for free. Uh, we announced it a couple of months ago, and uh, it's available for free for them to use uh, in their environments. And uh, we did this because, um, you know, exactly what you said, right? As you set up the conversation, uh, we want uh, we want to secure the vote, and we recognize that, um, you know, the bad guys have basically been uh, changing data in our election board systems, right, to create chaos, right? Sometimes they're not even stealing the data, they're just changing, you know, your zip code, right? One character in your zip code. And when people are coming in to vote, it's creating chaos. And, and that's exactly what they wanted to do. So the problem around access, I quoted, you know, Verizon earlier on about the 80% of breaches that's to do with compromised credentials. So that's fundamentally what we're doing. We're helping them secure their environments. Uh, both the applications that 
election board workers are using to access. Uh, for, let's say they're accessing multiple applications, be they in the cloud or on premises, and the servers as well. So let's say you've got a uh, a database that's running, that's got you know obviously the the the, the core election data for that particular state or region. Um, our servers, our, our software, sorry, can be used to secure access to those servers in the first place. So those are the types of uh, offerings we've got, but really it was a free offer to state and local governments. And uh, the other thing that I think it's important to say is um, we've learned a lot because we've got a very healthy business selling to state and local governments already. So we learned how our zero trust platform was applicable to solve these kind of problems. We all knew it was, but you know, it this was not just a you know let's just do this for because it's it's an important thing. But we had that experience as well. So having that experience and putting two 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 and two one and two do these two things together, we felt that it was important for us to make this offer to to uh, those agencies and at least gives them a a solution between now and uh, the elections later on this year to solve the problem while more macro aspects like uh, you know budgets and so forth are sorted out okay that makes sense you know and you know so one of the things that uh, you know i think is uh, on the one hand i think it, it, it's not a hundred percent clear and may never be a hundred percent clear but it, it most of what i've seen has maintained that there was never a a, a breach of actual voting machines, there wasn't like a, a, an actual change of votes, although I've seen some hints that that actually could have happened. But as, as we just talked about, like the, the a lot of the focus was at the election board level and was just, you know, uh, you know, possibly, you know, disenfranchising voters and, and removing them from the voter rolls. So then you show up to vote and you're not allowed to vote. And, you know, and for some people, uh, you know, they might be dedicated enough to, you know, persevere through that process and, you know, fill out the provisional ballot and, and whatever else you need to do to, to jump through those hoops. But for some people, they might just say, you know what, hey, I tried. And then they go home and they don't vote at all. Um, yeah. But I think that that's that's important. I think that's actually, uh, unfortunately, it's very smart uh, because uh, that's exactly how you create chaos in the system. And, you know, if you get, you know, one or two percent more increase in the number of people who come to vote and they find out that the misinformation is is uh, is incorrect and they walk away and they don't have the patience to spend half an hour filling out forms uh, can make all can change the results of an election right uh, as, as as you've seen worldwide right so i think uh, um in, on, on the part of the bad guys it's 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 a very smart move and uh, you know from a technology point of view uh, it's uh, it's easier to do than trying to steal records, right? I mean, ultimately, it's about getting access to the the database and and changing data, which is somewhat easier to do than trying to steal the data, remove it over a period of time, and so forth, right? So, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an important, you know. It's, it, I think it's uh, you know we're learning a lot about what's happened, right? And I think it it all points down to uh, access and the lack of kind of controls we have, right? The, the number of times you watch, uh, you know, movies and, you know, take Mr. Robot, right? You know, the, the, the series on, on TV, right? And the number of times that, you know, people are 
are gaining access to systems with just a simple username and password and versus you know trying to break into a bank and 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 steal money right which is so much more complicated right it's just so much easier now to identify an ele election board worker and do a profile of that person on facebook and linkedin and so forth and 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 guess their password and that's it you're in the system and the odds are um you know, uh, the, the user uses the same password to access everything just to make their life easier. So implementing things like multi-factor authentication, which is part of our zero trust platform, is, is so important. And uh, once you implement something like multi-factor authentication, you drastically reduce the risk of the bad guys getting in. Right. Well, and, and so like you, like you said, it's, uh, you know, sowing that kind of chaos uh, you know, does have, it, it does produce the results you're looking for, especially, and if you go back and you look at the 2016 presidential election, you know, there was a, you know, 3 million, you know, roughly 3 million vote difference between the two candidates. The, 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 the winner of the popular vote lost the election thanks to the Electoral College. And then if you go back to, basically, I think it's just Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, I think it's those three. Uh, it might have been Florida, but anyway, there were. It comes down to th three states. Uh, there was a grand total of about sixty-five thousand votes. Yep. That separated, you know, winner and loser, and those three states make or break the whole election. And so yep. you're talking about out of you know a hundred and thirty million votes cast or whatever. 65,000 made the difference. I mean, so that's a, what, a, a, you know, far less than 1%. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very small, yeah, it's a very small percentage based on, you know, the swing states we've got, right? So, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a very small percentage of people you have to influence to, to have a different outcome. And I think that's uh, that's one part of the, the reason why this is so important, right? Um, you know, just with the, the way the electrical, rectal, the system is set up in, a, in the states, right? But irrespective of that, I think that, uh, you know, this type of thing where uh, the bad guys are trying to change data in systems is, is a wake-up call to all organi organizations, be enterprises or governments, that, you know, we really need to take care of this access problem. And, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm trying to explain to people that, we tend to spend uh, our, our our security dollars in, on the wrong stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you know, Gartner Gartner typically says four to six percent of IT security spend is on identity and access management. But then you go back to that stat I gave you earlier on about the eighty percent. It's it's almost like we've got things wrong way around, right? I mean, we need to spend way more on the access problem and less on some of the other. Uh, uh, controls and systems we've got in security, right? Or otherwise, you know, we need to overall increase the spend of security. And, uh, and that was one of the reasons why we did this was we wanted to kind of just help um, help our, our country move forward and implement some of these technologies because, you know, these technologies are much more easier to implement than kind of uh, the legacy technology that, that you know, companies like us are replacing. So, uh, it's much more easier to use and so forth. And, and certainly, you know, with, with the election boards, you know, the, 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 the volu it's a lot of volunteers and uh, volunteer yeah. staff and they're, 
the young adults, and they're used to technology already, right? So, you know, I was speaking to one person, and uh, she said to me, you know, I'm just surprised that, you know, I'm working on this stuff, and I can't use Google Authenticator, right? And, uh, you know, and, you know, why that's, why they're so old, why the system's so old, and so forth, right? So, it's, uh, it's a big wake-up call. Right. Well, and to tie it back to the broader security landscape, this it, it really was just a variation on a supply chain attack. It was it was I I might be able to hack the actual you know election results, but that's difficult. It's much more secured. It's much more under the microscope. Um, you know, the odds of doing that undetected are much lower. Or I can just attack election boards and alter you know some voter records so that people can't vote and i can get the same result uh but with you know far fewer risks and far fewer uh you know security controls in place which is very similar to you know target being attacked you know through a third-party contractor you know and, and things like that you know it's like it's a, it's a it's a consistent pattern of you know cyber criminals in general whether they're attacking elections or corporations to say, okay, well, what's the low-hanging fruit? You know, where where can I go? You know, if I step back in the supply chain, who can I attack to get the same result with less effort? Yep. So, um, well, I think we will wrap up there. Um, I want to, you know, thank you, uh, Bill, for joining me. Um, uh, it was very enlightening on both the DevOps and the uh, election front. Um, so. Uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, spread the word and, and you know, help as many election boards as possible take advantage of uh, your you know, Centrify's generosity in that regard. Um, but uh, thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you very much. This episode of Inner Circle is sponsored by Centrify. The traditional approach to security is based on the concept of trust but verify. Companies trust employees, they trust vendors, suppliers, partners, and typically only watch for suspicious or malicious activity uh, that seems anomalous. The reality, though, is that the suspicious and malicious activity generally originates from those trusted accounts. Two-thirds of companies are still breached anyway, and more than 80% of those breaches involve weak, default, or stolen passwords. Centrify provides next-gen access with zero-trust security. In other words, security based on the premise of never trust, always verify. You can click the Centrify logo at the upper right of the Techspective website uh, to learn more or visit directly by going to centrify.com. That's C-E-N-T-R-I-F-Y.com. Go check it out. Thank you for listening. I hope that you uh, got some entertainment or education or, or some value out of the, the time you invested listening to the podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would give me that feedback and let me know what you like and what you don't like, either in the comments, uh, on the on the blog post on Techspective, or uh, review the uh, podcast in iTunes. Um, but regardless, uh, again, I just really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. Thank you.